Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zara Freelan. And this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Really, it is. I'm happy to be back with you, Zara. I really am. So, two weeks on the trot. Last week, we got to uh, we got to bid. Was it a fond farewell to the X Men franchise? I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a farewell. A farewell, uh, yeah. <laughs> It was a well. I mean, it's been 20 years. That starts a hell of an emotional commitment for a franchise. Whether or not it was uh, emotionally returned to us is another question entirely. I would argue it went out on something of a sour note, much like most relationships I've ever had. But alas, fare thee well, X-Men. However, we do get to say goodbye to another franchise this week. I don't know, are you as attached to Bill and Ted as the X-Men, would you say? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> hell no. Hell no, absolutely. Do you know the best part as well is that thanks to certain machinations, thanks to Freeview and new release, etc., this week we do kind of get to talk about all the Bill and Ted movies, which is incredible. Uh, but before we talk about Bill and Ted, let's talk about something of a decidedly different ilk. Let's talk about the new movie from Sally Potter. Uh, who, who, was it The Party? Did you ever see The Party? It was about two or three years ago, the black and white one that was sat at a dinner party. Yeah. Yeah, I vaguely remember it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I did see it. That was that was Cillian Murphy yeah. and, and Timothy Spall, and it was. I remember critics loved it. Critics loved it. I don't oh, think any audiences loved it because no one, yeah, no one showed up for it, so audiences didn't love it. But critics loved it. Um, well, it's a is critic friendly film, as I say. <laughs> it was. I wonder. I wonder if this is going to be as well. So this is the new one. This is uh, the road's not taken. Uh, this is written by uh, Sally Potter. It is directed by Sally. Potter. It's even got a score by Sally Potter. I know because the score's actually pretty decent. Um, this stars Javier Bardem, Laura Linney and Elle Fanning. Primarily Javier Bardem and, and Elle Fanning as a father and daughter. Uh, he has dementia and he. we also see flashes of two concurrent periods in his life. So we see a time prior to his, his condition worsening in which he seemingly was married to Salma Hayek which, just for the sake of spoilers, I'm just going to tell you that if, if, I, I don't even have to have dementia. If I was ever married to Salma Hayek, <laughs> I'm thinking about that all day, every day for eternity. That's just it. Uh, he also thinks about a time he spent in Greece, which he doesn't think about as much because, obviously, it's not as good as being married to Salma Hayek. Um, anyway, the present day, he is struggling with the throes of his condition. His daughter is feeling the weight that their condition is putting upon their relationship, and she's struggling really to just get him any sense of equality. Let's let's have a, a little sample before we before we get into it. Nestor is there. No. Nestor. Oh, Nestor is no longer with us. He's in heaven. No. Doggy heaven. No. He was a very good dog. Oh, Nestor. Nestor. Is he getting agitated? We can give him something to calm him down. Why does everyone continue to refer to dad as he? As if he's not here? What is he? So you saw this before I did, Zara. What did you think of this one? It is really heart a heartbreaking film. I and mean, it, it does give you the perspective of what someone goes through at got dementia and the people around them he's loved their loved ones as well which is actually quite heartbreaking quite heartbreaking stuff i will say i mean for me the, the, the stuff that's there this is a very very strange film in one regard because it's working a gimmick which is to run the three time periods and this is what it's kind of advertises on the tin they're literally marketing the film as you know Boston throws a dementia he's reliving these same two periods of his life that's in no way the focus of the film whatsoever though and in fact of those two other time periods you really only needed one of them which is the salma hayek 
one because it sort of pays off late in the third act and really not for that much catharsis. I would argue that we don't particularly get anything out of any big revelation of the Salma Hayek period of his life. Having said that, I do think Javier Bardem's very good at it. I don't think you can question that at all. Javier Bardem's good in everything he does. I mean, Fanning's good, but I couldn't get the image out of that she was his daughter. <laughs> well, the thing, I mean, her entire arc in this film just seems to consist, as, you, as you'll hear in that clip, of this sort of righteous indignation. Her entire role in the film is simply to be there, to be offend everyone else's attitude, <laughs> and to do really nothing else. And then you've got uh, Laura Linney, who turns up, I think, twice, maybe three times in this film, for no other reason than just to put on this sort of, what I call, shifty bitch mode. I mean, there's, there's, there's really no other way kind of around it. You could reductively chalk the entire thing up as, as, as this sort of as, as this sort of wander down memory lane with a sort of mawkish anti-disability kind of element put on top of it but you know you, you assume there has to be slightly more heart put into it than that and I know it is dedicated to Potter's own brother I think who, uh, who struggled with dementia so I can obviously understand there is an emotional component going into this but I'm not feeling it I'm not feeling that emotion at all and I think that's a big problem yeah and I do think that again is down to having the three stages of his life as well I don't think either the part two past lives has mm. anything to ha, has any current story to what's happening presently i just don't think it went with it at all no i agree with you i mean when it gets when it's to the point which believe me is late in the game you know it's, it's very nicely done it's very sweet mm. it's very you know it, it become they become relevant points but again they take their time getting there and it's a slog having said that as you pointed out to me before we start recording as well at least it's only a short slog it's a tidy <laughs> a tight and tidy 85 minutes you know yeah, and it goes pretty quickly as well, so that, that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's uh, that, that's the roads not taken. Don't particularly think you'll want to take those roads yourself. It's kind of one thumb up from me, really, for, mostly for Javier Bardem's rather brilliant performance in there. But uh, what would you give it? Out of two thumbs, there, what are you giving it? Uh, I'll give it out of two thumbs. I'll out of two thumbs? It... You, you got two, unless, unless, unless there's something freakishly wrong with it. I think you only have two thumbs. Uh, I'll give it two. <laughs> <laughs> give it to, give it to. Okay, yeah. fair, fair. Okay, so on to one thing that's less thumbs and more thumb and uh, pinky finger. Let's go on to uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is, uh, you know, the uh, the finale that we never knew we needed to the Bill and Ted franchise. So it's been, I think it's been 19 years? Twenty nine years, I want to say, since the last Bill and Ted movie. So, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey was nineteen ninety one. Excellent Adventure was eighty eight. Released eighty nine in the UK, I think. And now we have the three called Bill and Ted Face the Music, in which Bill and Ted are reunited with the future, as it were, in their fifties, when they are told that they have seventy seven minutes in more or less real time to finally write and perform the song that will save the entire universe from imploding, both in terms of time. Time and space, and uh, do you know, I'm just going to let Kristen Schaal do it for me because she just makes it sound cuter than I do. Greetings, my excellent friends. Do we know you? I'm Kelly. Wait, you're Rufus's daughter. I am, and I've been wanting to meet you my whole life. It must be very disappointing. Not at all. We have a problem, gentlemen. Potentially a very serious problem. About the music? about the music. They just want to talk to you. <laughs> Dude, I got a very bad feeling about this. It'll be fine, Ted. They totally love us in the future, dude. 
All I'm going to say is, if they're finally going to go back to the future in this one, how dare they not do a remix of Robbie Robb's In Time? Because that <laughs> thing, that was the needle drop of the original Bill and Ted movie. That thing kicked ass. So, um, I assume you're not as big a Bill and Ted fan as I am, Zara. Uh, as I said before, hell no! <laughs> <laughs> so, not being as big, because obviously I'm a died-in-the-wall Bill and Ted fan, have been since I was like six, seven years old. Love Bill and Ted. So before I get into you know the, the fanboy take on this one, let's let's go with the uh, the naysayer opinion. What do you think of this? Um, I mean, for me, it just I could have gone away for the first hour, watched two episodes of EastEnders, come back and knew exactly what happened. Um, Why EastEnders? It was just the first series that came into my head. Um, <laughs> for, for me, it took at least an hour for it to warm up to actually get anywhere, and and then it found its feet with the with its humour and the and the storyline as well. Well, I found that really odd as well because you are actually. I think you're completely correct there. It does take its time to start to find its feet, and it does end a lot better on a lot better note than it starts. When it starts, out, it does feel very ramshackle. It does feel very sort of everything's thrown at the kitchen wall kind of thing. See what sticks. Um, the performances, I mean, Alex Winter hasn't skipped a beat. There's something kind of eerie about Keanu Reeves in this film where he seems to feel more natural the wackier Ted gets. And the more you see alternate versions of Bill and Ted, for instance, in the future, Keanu Reeves seems to come out of his shell a bit there. But in terms of just playing the basic Ted, he seems to be weirdly out of step. Maybe he's just like not used to doing this little in a role, perhaps. It's because he didn't have his beard. He felt lost without it. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. So much power contained within the beard. And it's noticeable that all the other versions of Ted do all feature beards. So y- your theory is not without merit. Um, so, this, like I say, it starts better than it, than it begins. Uh, some of the cameos... I mean, the cameos are all great, to be honest. Even uh, Death, who doesn't really even need to be in the film, for being honest, is there all his fan service. There's some quite good historical characters sort of appearing in there, as you would expect from Bill and Ted movie. There's a great cameo, extended cameo from Kid Cudi, that uh, I thought was I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Um, there's a smaller cameo for, let's just say, the lead singer of a certain very popular American rock <laughs> band that had me absolutely whooping and cheering, as you'll know, because we watched this together. Um, and there are certain new cast members. There are, for instance, Christian Charles Rufus's daughter Kelly, uh, Anthony Carrigan from Barry, who plays a sort of Bill and Ted version of a Terminator, yeah. albeit one who's a bit more mopey and dancey. Uh, Beck. Bennett from Saturday Night Live turns up as the newly adult Deacon. And there's, I mean, if you're going to describe this, this effectively is the, the lyrics to Tenacious D's tribute played out with Bill and Ted and a Terminator. And in the meanwhile, you've got their daughters, Bridget Lundy Payne and Samara Weaving, who've gone off to basically do the plots of both of the first two Bill and Ted's. It's fine. It's, you know, by the end of it, you do feel, oh, I'm glad I watched that. So, you know, I put a smile on my face. But you do feel like it is an unnecessary, if not just triumphant, finale. It's an unneeded finale, but it's a triumphant one, I think. Yeah, it was just totally, for me anyway, it was like, what was the point? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's more of a nostalgia trip for the, for the fans out there. Absolutely. It does feel like downloadable content. It feels like I've just finished my video game. Now I shall download this extra level so that I can have one more level's play out of it. It's like when you've finished Arkham City and you, you pay like three quid so you can play another level as Robin. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of like that. I, I had a good time with it. Didn't think it was amazing. I didn't think it was an excellent adventure, but I didn't think it was bogus either. I would say it as... <laughs> Um, you know, I would say it's sort of most mundane, but marginally triumphant. That's, that's what I'll go with. Oh, God. <laughs>
And welcome back to Off Screen. We're going to keep you on that couch now for some Freeview fun. Uh, starting with your seven-day guide to everything movies on free, free, to, free to air channels, really. Starting on Saturday, 9pm, five-star. Now, I understand, Miss Field, that you've not seen this, which is one of my very favourite comedies of the, of the last sort of two decades. It's Galaxy Quest. You've never had the pleasure. No, I've never had the pleasure. It's one of those ones that I've always stayed well clear of. <gasps> For shame. Now, I'm going to ask, before we get into it, why have you stayed well clear of it? Uh, it just reminds me of someone, well, of someone like you, really, has got your humour. <laughs> <laughs> right. First of all, first of all, believe me, this movie was ahead of its time. Like, if you put this movie out today, if this movie had never existed and you released it in box office, in, in, you know, in multiplexes today, maybe not in the middle of COVID, but, you know, prior to COVID or after. Um, this would be probably the biggest comedy of the year, hands down. So the idea is, this is, comes from 1999, directed by Dean Parasote, who, funnily enough, also directed Bill and Ted Face the Music. Ha ha ha, so funny timing. Um, this stars Alan Rickman, Tim, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Sam Rockwell, uh, Tony Shalhoub, uh, Robin Atkin Downs. I'm trying to think who else is in this. It's just one of those all-encompassing casts where everyone that you know as being that guy from that thing turns up in it. So Enrique Colantoni, who most people know as as being one of the romantic leads from Just Shoot Me, a.k.a. Veronica Mars's dad, he shows up in this. It's one of those kind of films. Uh, it also stars, much to my absolute triumph, Mr. Justin Long, which always fills me with joy. So the idea here is you've got a cancelled TV show from the 80s in this case called Galaxy Quest, which is a very thinly disguised version of Star Trek, the original series, you know, space-based adventure series, polystyrene planets, prime directive, that kind of thing. It's been cancelled. The fans have never let it die properly. It exists within conventions now, and, you know, these has-been actors are eking out a living just, you know, at signing tables, rather like, you know, actual sci-fi actors do, um, only for the transmissions of the original series to reach outer space, be, ta be taken in by aliens who themselves are under siege by an external force. They then believe the thing is real, build the ship from the series, and go and abduct the actors, expecting them to have the basic skill sets, as the series has shown them, to save the universe. And of course, they're in no position to do so. Um, the Spock-like figure played by Alan Rickman in particular has decidedly got other priorities in mind. How did I come to this? Not again. I played Richard III. Five curtain calls. There were five curtain calls. I was an actor once. Damn it, now look at me. Look at me! I can't go out there and I won't say that stupid line one more time. I can't. I won't. Well, Alex, at least you had a part. Okay? You had a character people loved. I mean, my TV Guide interview was six paragraphs about my boobs and how they fit into my suit. No one even bothered to ask me what I do on the show. You had the... Wait, wait, I'll think of it. I repeated the computer, Fred. <laughs> right, you will love this, Sarah. If you've never seen it, prepare for a comedy that will absolutely tickle you right in the funny bone. This is absolutely the prestige of every sci-fi show you never knew you needed. Yeah, I mean, just listening to that clip, I was like, oh, I miss Alan Rickman, so I'll watch it just for him. <laughs> can I can I tell you his iconic quote from this? Because if you've never seen the film, he has, like, a, a mantra that his character has to say. Kind of like live long and prosper, only his is, by Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Warvan, you shall be avenged. <laughs> now, imagine that in the voice of Alan, Alan Rickman. Rickman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're in for some absolute gold. It is really worth it. If you've never seen it, do check it out, because it absolutely pastiches every single element 
of Star Trek. Everything down to why does Captain Kirk's shirt always rip in that very specific way? <laughs> everything. It does everything. Even the Star Trek actors themselves have gone on record in the two, two decades since this to say, actually, this is the best movie ever made about Star Trek, and it's not even a movie about Star Trek. So, take of that what you will. 9pm, 5 star, Saturday night. Do check out, you will have a grand old time. But... One that you'll laugh probably less at, although you'll still love. Sunday night, 10.55, on Film 4. Now, you, you're a recent convert to this. So it's Train Spotting, which is, of course, based on the Irvin Welsh novel of the same name and, of course, made stars out of, ooh, everybody involved? So there was what? There was there was Ewan McGregor, there's uh, uh, Johnny Lee Miller, there's uh, Robert Carlyle, Danny Boyle obviously became a name off the back of this. And, of course, Irvin Welsh himself became something of a rock star. And this is, of course, the chronicle, the mid-90s watershed chronicle of a group of heroin addicts in... Is it Edinburgh or Glasgow? I can never remember with this. Was it Edinburgh? I swear it was Edinburgh. Swear it was But you know what? Yeah. Let's. I'm going to skip the, the traditional choose life moment and just go for the preamble for one of my favourite scenes. <sighs> Good luck, Spud. Cheers, Cowboy. Now, remember... What? If they think you're no trying, you're in trouble, right? First hint of that, and they'll be onto the DHSS. This is no trying, and your gyro's finished, right? Right. But then again, try too hard, and they get the job. <laughs> exactly. Nightmare. It's a tightrope, Spud. It's a tightrope. See, I just get pure shy with the end of your cats. Like I get all nervous, and I can't answer any of the questions. Like I'm a footballer, and I get nerves on a big occasion, man. Try some of this, Spud. Yeah, a little dab of speed is just a ticket, Mike. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to go last five seconds on speed in a job interview. But uh, Great scene, great scene of uh, Ewan Bremner trying to make his way through that job interview, and it's absolutely spectacular. Um, the film is infinitely funnier than I think we give it credit for, but it's, it's remembered as a lot more of a mawkish, down, dirty, grimy kind of film with some actually quite horrifying imagery. If you remember, like, the baby on the ceiling and things like that. Mm. Yeah, and it's... It's those grimy images which really didn't make me a fan of this film at first. But you were one over in the end, weren't you? Yeah, I just still can't get over that toilet scene that still <laughs> haunts my nightmares. <laughs> well, I can never use the bathroom at Victoria Station. <laughs> anyway, OK. <laughs> so you can see Trainspring, 10.55, Sunday night on Film 4. Moving over to Monday then, sort of beginning the next week, although we'd nice, like to give you a nice extended weekend in one go. When was the last time we had a three-day weekend anyway? Uh, Sony Movies, 7.05pm. Something a bit more light-hearted, something a bit more big. It's 13 going on with Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo in which, I believe her name is Jenna Rink, is a 13-year-old mm. girl who makes a wish on her birthday and wakes up in her own 30-year-old body when she is then played by a sort of surprisingly naive Jennifer Garner and of course the only person she can turn to for help is her former best friend who's now played by an adult, Mark Ruffalo. You still take pictures? Uh, yeah, you know, it, uh, pays the bills. Uh, hey, Jenna, what are you, why are you here? Maddie, I told you, something really weird is happening. Yesterday was my 13th birthday, and then, and then today I woke up and I'm this. And you, I mean, you're that, you get it? Are you high? You've been smoking pot, doing X, falling into a K-hole, you're doing drugs? No, no. I'm just going to say that regardless of whether I'm 13, 30 or what, if I wake up looking like Mark Ruffalo, I'm celebrating. <laughs> Yeah, and if I woke up looking like Jennifer Garner, me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
And she still looks exactly the same. She does. Anyway, you're a fan of this, aren't you? I mean, I like the film quite a bit. I mean, it's got a great little appearance from uh, Andy Serkis in it, but you're a bigger fan of this than I am, I think. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I I wasn't so much another one because there was such a spate of these films, all, you know, the vice versa, age reversal type films at the same time. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday was around this time. Yeah, it it was. It was. Um, But I mean, I revisited this recently and I'd completely forgot about Ruffalo being in it, completely forgotten about Circus being in it. And then there's this one scene where you've got both Ruffalo and Circus. They do um, a sequence in Michael Jackson's thriller. They do a dance. And Circus kills that. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) But I remember that that was the time, like back in this period, Mark Ruffalo was just who you went and got when you had a rom-com and you didn't know who to get to be the male lead you just went and got mark ruffalo in a sweater and that was just what happened it was just get me mark fetch a sweater we'll belt this out by lunchtime that was just how these things it was like what was that one with the uh, reese witherspoon when she was the ghost oh was it yeah he- just like heaven just like heaven right. yeah that's it same kind of thing. Just get me Mark Ruffalo yeah. and a sweater. We'll have this done by tea time. Don't yeah. worry about it. Um, I think I think he's great for that. But I think a lot of the charm of this one comes from Jennifer Garner. I think she's just got that right persona for it. I think she's she's lively and bubbly enough, I think. Yeah, and it's also got a great soundtrack to it as well. I mean, there's Love is oh, Battlefield by Pet Benatar in it, and I've been singing that ever since. Well, that's it, because isn't cause 13 going on 30 is very deeply rooted in, I think, about like 1986, 1987 kind yeah. of time in terms of the soundtrack. So it's, yeah. a, it's a good period to do a nostalgia-driven soundtrack from. But uh, I think that's, that's a pretty good uh, end to our first trifecta of films on Freeview for the week. From Galaxy Quest to Train Spotting to 13 going on 30, <laughs> we have taken you through the spectrum. I think nicely with those three. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want to see one of them at least. <laughs> <laughs> and if you watch all three, congratulations, you may have a psychotic <laughs> episode. But try to hold on to your hats until we get back because we still got Tuesday through Friday to do. <laughs> Welcome back to Off Screen. So, Miss Phelan, still on that couch. We have some more Freeview filmic fun for uh, I think the remainder of our week. Let's start on on Tuesday. Then, how do you feel about a bit of horror? Um, um, it has to be a really good horror. No, you and I have seen some absolutely atrocious and very rubbish horror together. But um, let's 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 talk about one then that isn't rubbish. This is, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is absolutely a B movie horror spectacle, a B movie creature feature that somehow found its way look, looking out into a sort of theatrical window. I believe it's Vincenzo Natale uh, directing. It is Splice from all the way back in two thousand nine. Did you see this when it came? It was Adrian Brody and, and Sarah Polly. Did you catch this one? No. So the idea are geneticists who are trying to create what are basically simple organisms for pharmaceutical research. They wind up creating a life that they name Dren. And uh, she presents initially as a sort of offbeat, genetically modified little girl, albeit sort of a a hairless little girl with a a long sort of scorpion-like tail. And of course they decide to raise her in secrecy and in captivity as their would-be daughter. Three guesses how spectacularly wrong this might go. Clive? 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 Gavin. Oh. 
What happened? It's alive. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like it's all going to be all uh, sunshine and rainbows, that one, does it? Uh, so, Horror Channel, 10.45pm. There's actually a decent little supporting role in there for uh, David Hewlett as well, known to sci-fi fans as uh, Dr. Rodney McKay from the Stargate franchise. He's always fun to see turning up in this. And, of course, he had uh, starred um, in Cube for director Vincenzo Natale prior to this, which is another one of my sort of sci-fi bug house faves. You know I like a good, violent, bloody, nasty sci-fi movie. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, Splice, worth checking out. Horror Channel, 10.45, Tuesday night. Uh, on to Wednesday, then. Uh, first part of a double bill. This is on, say, we've only got the first one down, but we're going to cheat a little. We're going to toss the second movie in as well. <laughs> so Channel 5 on Wednesday night at 11.05 are showing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because, obviously, Wednesday is the release date of Bill and Ted Face the Music in cinemas. Uh, on Thursday night, they are following that up with a screening of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey as well. But we're not going to talk about that because the heat is also on the same night. Um, however... Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is, you know, the movie that started it all. It's the movie that pretty much gave us Keanu Reeves and then gave us Alex Winter. And we as an audience said, no, you can take him back. But uh, <laughs> we got Keanu Reeves out of it. And some and some decent documentaries from Alex Winter, including a very, very good one on Napster called Downloaded. So don't write the poor boy off just yet. He was also in The Lost Boys, let us not forget. Not everyone gets a kiosance. Anyway, so Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, in which Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan are the only hope for the future of uh, humanity as uh, they attempt to survive their history exam with the aid of a time-travelling phone box that they use to abduct popular figures from history. Why this would in any way benefit them with their history exam, I don't quite know. Also, I'm not sure what school in the universe actually has history exams this way, but um, you know what? It's all part of the fun. Here's Bill and Ted. Greetings, my excellent friends. Do you know when the Mongols ruled China? Wow. Perhaps we could ask them. Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. Gentlemen, I'm here to help you with your history report. What? How? Whoa! Oh, I hate that part. Bill. What? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Now, how, that hasn't aged, really. That still sounds as good as it did back then. Really? <laughs> I think it does. I think when you hear that film now, I think it makes the third film sound ropier because the, the first and even the second one just have this absolute conviction, this absolute belief in their own worth and, and, and humour that I think the third one lacks. But the I don't think you can beat that first one. I think, I think the second one is vastly underrated, though. However, you can you can find out for yourself. You can revisit the whole lot on Wednesday, if you so desire. Just, you know, uh, see Bill and Ted on Wednesday, see Bogus Journey on uh, Thursday, and then just pop to the cinema on Friday if you feel it's safe. That is completely on you. Uh, on Friday, to see Bill and Ted face the music and get the whole trilogy out over a three-day sprint. You're not a fan, then? How can you not be a fan of Bill and Ted? I never was. I hated Beavis and Butthead, and that's all I can remember Bill and Ted being <laughs> like. And it really grated on my nerves. <laughs> well, you had, because you had the three of them. You had Bill and Ted, you had Wayne and Garth, and you had Beavis and Butthead, and they were all kind of around the same time. And they wanted, to, and it made me want to take a gun to my head and blow my brains out. <laughs> 
Well, you know, that, that's, that's clearly going to be a, a gender thing in the early 90s right there. I'm sure my younger sister feels exactly the same about Bill and Ted. I will say, though, best soundtrack of the three, and this is a controversial opinion, belongs to Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey has the best out-and-out soundtrack of the three. Just saying. Also, there is a moment in, in the new movie in which someone says the word station, and I've never cheered harder at a film in my life, as you will attest. There was literally a moment during the, that third film in which you heard me scream out the words, Station! But it, it can't be helped. So, uh, Thursday, if you are not watching, in fact, you could watch this before Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, on film four, this is a film I, I hope you like a bit more than Bill and Ted at least. It's Sandra Bullock, it's Melissa McCarthy, it's Paul Feig, it's The Heat on film for so miss Phelan, where do you sit on the heat uh quite forgettable and I, forgettable what? actually i saw the schedule for this week and i saw the heat yeah. and i was like oh i've never seen that and then i went and looked i was like oh, oh I, I have seen it <laughs> you have you have yeah i um, have i, I think I'm, I'm not sure if you didn't see this at a screening with me and i think we knew each other at the time but this was this was what seven six seven years ago now so sandra bullock is the the f the, the square fbi agent melissa mccarthy is the ragged around the edges police officer they are forced to team up it is literally the definition in fact did you know that until several months before it was released this was legitimately filmed and packaged up as and this is genuinely what the title was Untitled Melissa McCarthy, Sandra Bullock, Buddy Cop Comedy. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Which I would have genuinely released it as. I would have released it as Buddy Cop Comedy. <laughs> and just seen if anybody noticed whatsoever. So you've got the setup. You know what's coming. Imagine a bunch of SNL-caliber comedians and cable comedians like, like uh, uh, Bill Burr, for instance, and people like that, turning up to do wonderful bits of dialogue like this. Are you a knock? I'm sorry? Are you a knock? A knock. I do, a, sorry, I don't know what that is. A knock. A knock. Am I speaking Japanese? Yeah, listen to him. I'm going to sound it out for you. Are you or are you not a knock? Like Johnny Depp in 21 Jump Street. Ah, I see, I see. Okay, a, a narc. A knock, ah, yes. Yes, yes. No, what, are you, I, what was I saying? I was missing the R when you were saying, I heard knock. What are you? What, what are you doing here? Oh, what are you I, doing? I'm a federal time. agent. I'm a special agent. Are you a boy or a girl? It's a fair question. Uh, I'm I'm female. No kidding. All woman. From the get go. Um, no operation. Um, from birth, yes. God. <laughs> I kind of feel like you would never get that gag in a movie now. You no, know, you wouldn't. That's a, I feel like no, no. no. You wouldn't. I thought you wouldn't do that gag in a movie now. Certainly, Sandra Bullock would never do that gag in a movie now. But. Um, I rather. I think it's got a lot going for it. It's got a great soundtrack. It's got some great action beats. It's got Biff from uh, from Back to the Future having his ass handed to him by Melissa McCarthy as the police captain. There's some some worthy stuff in there as well. Is it? And who's the? Uh, there's a sort of there's a young agent who has a bit of a thing for Sandra Bullock. Is that Damon Wayans Jr. I want to say? It's Marlon. Is it Marlon Wayans? Oh, I knew it was one of the Wayans's. I figured given the age he'd have to be, yeah. it would be Damon Wayans Jr. But yeah, Marlon Wayans. Oh, okay, look at him getting a, <laughs> a, a non-slapstick role. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> so, okay, uh, on to Friday then. This one goes from buddy cop comedy to buddy cop action thriller extraordinaire. Um, now, th- there's, a, there's a controversial debate amongst fans as to whether or not this is the best of the series. I disagree with it, although I can see how the argument has been made. It is, of course, 
Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is on Sony Movies at 9pm on Friday. John McClane is uh, forced to team up with a civilian named Zeus Carver, played by Samuel L. Jackson, and they are put through the ringer by Simon, a mysterious terrorist mastermind who phones them up and issues them challenges one at a time. Before we, uh, before we get into whether or not this is actually the best of the Die Hard movies, let's have a sample as to you know, the general quality on offer. Now, John, there's a significant amount of explosive in the trash receptacle next to you. Try to run, and it goes up now. And nobody's going to run, but I got a hundred people out here. That's the point. Now, do I have your attention? As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Every wife had seven sacks, every sack has seven cats. Every cat has seven kittens, kittens, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? My phone number is 555. No, 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 wait, I didn't get all that. Say it again. Not a chance. My phone number is 555, and the answer. Call me in 30 seconds or die. I mean, I've had worse phone-ins. I think the X Factor one's harder to get into, if I'm honest. You can still hold longer for the X Factor anyway. So, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. How, how do you think this ranks in the Die Hard pantheon, then, Zara? I, I feel it's just the same as all the others, to be honest. Anyone listening to this would think I hate movies, but you've picked some really, you you picked some really tough choices for me this week. <laughs> Do you know? Do you know what? Do you know what it is? I think Bex and I are just a bit more basic than you. <laughs> no, I think I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is. I think it's probably the second best. I don't think you can beat that first one. The first one's always going to be the best one. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's got. It's, it's definitely got the second best villain. I would say, and obviously for reasons you know relating to a twist that's been in movies for twenty five years, uh, you know, it makes sense that that is the case. Um, I do think giving McLean a sidekick as a one off was a very good idea, and Samuel L. Jackson is absolutely perfect for it. Annoyingly, the series falls into a pattern after this, where all of a sudden McLean always has to have a sidekick. And I don't think they realised that this was intended as a one-off rather than the new formula. So it kind of has ruined the franchise going forward. But you know what? At least we got one in which he teamed up with Justin Long. So not a total loss. Um, And if you want a bit of amazing trivia for this, Jonathan Hensley, who wrote this movie, who wound up going on to direct The Punisher in 2004, got arrested and detained by the FBI because of this movie. Because he... (laughs) True story, he wrote this movie and then the FBI showed up, put him in cuffs, took him away, sat him in an interrogation room and demanded to know just how he knew so thoroughly how to rob the gold exchange (laughs) under Wall Street. And he had to sit there and explain to the FBI, I write movies, I research this, we are literally making a Die Hard sequel right now, which I'm sure sounded made up in the moment. But that is genuinely true. And you can see the fruits of that labor for yourself 9pm on Friday on Sony Movies. I think Die Hard with Avengers is a very good way to end the week, I think. Yeah, if you love Bruce Willis and a vest getting beaten up and blowing things up yeah. yeah but that used to be a good thing though remember when that used to be a good thing bruce willis in an action movie in a vest getting blown that was what we lived for like 25 years ago maybe you did i i was a bit more sophisticated <laughs> darling <laughs> well you know I, i'm just saying back then he wasn't quite as slumming he wasn't no, in de niro true. mode as we now call it <laughs> but uh, let's say friday night 9 p.m channel 4 get the beers and pizzas on the go and uh, live it up with john mcclain what could possibly go wrong <laughs> Thank you.
And we're back on off screen for one last ride. This time we're riding not much further than you already sat, so we're keeping it on the couch. We're going to bring in some shiny discs, some streams, and still give you no reason to leave that couch. We're, we're good like that. So, coming to DVD and Blu-ray this coming Monday, the 14th of September. It is September, isn't it, Sarah? Yay. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> forgetting the month now. I had to think about it. (laughs) There's a trailer the other day for Bond, and I saw it, it's like, it's out in November. I'm like, oh, that's months away. I'm like, no, that's like eight weeks away. Exactly. It's just that, yeah, time has no meaning in COVID land. That's where it is. (laughs) So uh, coming to DVD and Blu-ray this coming Monday, movies that we've talked about in other forms, we talked about when they were on new release, we talked about them uh, when they were on streaming, for instance, now they're put out to home platforms. Uh, Resistance, first and foremost. This was, uh, this came out quite quietly quietly a few weeks back, starring Jesse Eisenberg as Marcel Marceau. You know the mime? So I know you haven't seen this, sir. He's the mime who, it turns out, was a member of the uh, the Resistance during World War II and would help them launch attacks and uh, smuggle out orphans uh, from, from occupied territory. Um, this is a story that somehow fell under the radar. And, uh, you know, the movie literally has, it's one of those movies that has, like, you know, Ed Harris turns up for, like, two lines of dialogue, and they split split those two lines in half, so they have one line at the end of the movie and one line at the beginning, (laughs) so that it looks like he's in the whole movie. You know, one of those really cunning things. Like, we literally had him on on set for an afternoon, but we're going to make it look like he's in this whole damn thing. One of those. Yeah, and it has, and and Ed Harris, Ed Harris on the poster. Of course, of course, and it's and Ed, exactly that. I mean, there's literally a point at the end of the movie where, you know, it shows you after the war, it shows you, like, what became of Marcel Marceau. And it shows you, like, you know, Jesse Eisenberg getting his mime on, so to speak. And I'm just thinking, those poor soldiers, they've been through all of World War II, and now you're making them sit there and watch a mime. <laughs> I mean, poor guys have just liberated concentration camps. They've suffered enough. You're going to now make them sit and watch a mime for, like, three hours Come on, guys. Ed Harris, you're better than this. But so that's uh, Resistance, which is uh, otherwise fine. It's not an amazing movie because on a bit. doesn't have an awful lot to say. And it is... Uh, do you remember Oscar Gold, that fake movie in American Dad that yeah. Roger the Alien invents to win an Oscar? Resistance is literally that patronising a movie. <laughs> well, it's we just literally... see Eisenberg in it as well, so that says it all. Exactly. He may be able to pick good movies. And then for some reason, he discovered DC Comics and just never looked back. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, also on DVD the same day, and I'm happy to say, thankfully, a lot better a movie. Uh, the King of Staten Island, new Judd Apatow movie, uh, co-written by and starring Pete Davidson, who, of course, speaking of DC Comics, we're going to see in a year's time in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I'm reliably told. But this is uh, loosely based on his own story. He is, uh, you know, a, a Staten Island occupant whose father died. In reality, it was 9-11. He's just died in unrelated fire here. And uh, he's sort of just stuck around home. His sister has graduated and is graduated high school. She's moving on to college. She's going to have her own life, leaving just him and mom. How well do you think this could possibly go? <laughs> okay, you don't get to act crazy your whole life just because Dad died, okay? At least you got to know him. Well, you're lucky you didn't get to know him, okay? Because that's why you're almost normal. If you got to know him, you would have known that he was, like, the coolest guy ever. And that would have ruined the rest of your life. Okay, like, but what are you going to do? Are you going to get a job or are you going to leave the house? I don't know. I- I- I'm going to open that tattoo restaurant. No, like, for real. I am being real. It's a great. It's never been done before. I looked it up. 
I Googled it. It's never been done, not even as a joke. Because no one wants to go to a restaurant and watch people get tattooed while they eat. It's gross. It's the best idea ever. Ruby Tattoosdays, where everyone's welcome. Chicken and tattoos. <laughs> okay, true story. True story on this one. I reviewed this with my, uh, my friend Adam Ball on uh, BBC Oxford, and he legit responded to that clip by saying, do you know what? That actually is a really good idea for a restaurant. I would eat there. <laughs> so I think, that, think the gag falls a little bit flatter than the actual reality, which is that some people would actually go for that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you saw this. You saw this for the first time this week, didn't you? Yes, I did, actually. And um, I, for the first half of this film, I wasn't really into it. I mean, I couldn't, hmm. I didn't really care about him or about his life um he just seems like a bit of a loser he's got that annoying big brother attitude where you just really want to punch him in the face <laughs> i can understand that i can absolutely understand so you sympathized with the sister is what you're saying yes very much so because i had that brother um <laughs> oh, i see yeah but i mean as the second half falls into place i mean and he, mm. he does get his life together it's a bit more heartfelt and there's a bit more to it it feels a bit more meatier for me you know what? I agree with you completely. Like you say, it gets meatier. I think the second half of the film is a lot better than the first half. Once it finds its feet yeah. and they start getting into, for instance, they when they start developing the relationship between him and Bill Burr as his mum's would-be boyfriend slash yeah. love interest, when they start fleshing that relationship out, when they start exploring his relationship with his sister, when they basically start getting into the actual relationships, the movie noticeably picks up speed, picks up pace, and it feels like a lot happens in a lot shorter a space of time. Yeah. When you consider that this film is over two hours long, it's like two and a quarter something like that yeah it's got a lot of there's a lot of fat needed trimming out of this and there's a lot of fat needed you know spreading out mm. as it were as well but i do think it's a very good film i think it's a very good calling card for what pete davidson could be capable of oh definitely i mean but the, aside that you know he is this really unlikable character it's that's just uh uh it shows you how good a her he is hmm to be able I, to I work agree. with that. Unless he's like that in real life, I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, he's he's basically just... I mean, if you just cast your mind back about 18 months and just picture someone exactly that unlikable or likable, depending on how you see him, plus Ariana Grande, you basically had the real Pete Davidson. That's kind of how that works. Yeah. I mean, occasionally, I... he would, you know, occasionally he'd show up to work on SNL and then occasionally he wouldn't. That was the real... Pete Davidson about 18 months ago I would say yeah I did wonder I, I thought about Ariana Grande and I was like what did she ever see in this guy seriously <laughs> <laughs> I, he's he's very cool I'm told you know he's, hey. he's kind of like he's a millennial poster boy well not a millennial like a Gen Y poster boy <laughs> a millennial poster boy would be someone like I don't know who's a millennial poster boy Who, I don't know Jason Priestley um, who's, who's one yeah, him and Luke Perry. Luke Perry, Luke, yeah, he and yeah. Luke Perry were like millennial poster boys. I suppose Pete Davidson would be the Gen Y equivalent. Oh, hello. Anyway, <laughs> you know, on onto onto. Well, yeah, I'm aware that I'm trying to compare Luke Perry and, and Pete <laughs> Davidson, but that's that's age for you, darling. <laughs> Speaking of age, let's move away from shiny discs and onto streaming. Let's, let's, let's get hip and young and talk about a Spielberg movie that's uh, seemingly slipped under the radar and onto streaming this next week. War of the Worlds is coming to Prime uh, t- tomorrow on Saturday the 12th. Um, you didn't see this one, did you? No, this I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I remember seeing uh, the series when I was a kid, so and I didn't like mm. it, so I was like, yeah, I'm not going there. 
This is like a reimagined. So I think David Cope uh, wrote one for Spielberg. This reimagines War of the Worlds um, from the sidelines, effectively. So you've got Tom Cruise's sort of blue-collar dock worker character who's really just trying to get his children from point A to point B, and the children are uh, Dakota Fanning and the kid from the awful Dragon Ball movie that we all like to forget existed. <laughs> you know, the one that we forget, but it had Spike from Buffy in it, so please let never forget, <laughs> and let's hold this against them forever. <laughs> was it Dragon Ball? Was it Dragon Ball Z I'm thinking of? It's about 2008, 2009, they put that in a Street Fighter movie at the same time. And the Street Fighter one starred Oz from American Pie and Kristen Krug from Smallville. But uh, anyway, this was, this was the thing. Probably for the best, if we're honest. Uh, War of the Worlds, it reimagines uh, the whole story with uh, Tom Cruise's protagonist literally on the sidelines of all the major events. So the buildings fall down and everything, but they fall down just off camera and behind him rather than in front of him. <laughs> that's, that's the trick they've used. And it's pretty good. I watched this recently for Paul Ross's show. I had to revisit it for the first time in like a decade. And it holds up better than you'd think it would. Uh, although it has been ripped off so much now, you wouldn't believe a lot of Will Smith movies seem to borrow from this for some reason. Like a lot of I Am Legend got ripped straight out of War of the Worlds. Can't figure that one out. But uh, you can see it for yourself on Saturday the 12th. Uh, one movie that I know you'll be more excited to see though on Amazon Prime, our final pick for this week, uh, comes next Friday, the 18th, on Amazon Prime. It is, of course, Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, which I presume you liked The Gentleman, there. Oh, yes, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we got there eventually. Yay! <laughs> No, this was uh, this was who this was McConaughey, Hugh Grant, Charlie Hunnam, Colin Farrell. Uh, uh, oh, Michelle Dockery. Oh, oh Michelle Dockery. Yes, who yeah. gets my favourite line of the film? I'll just say something is afoot and leave it at that. <laughs> Golding, who I want to see in every movie ever. I adore Henry Golding. Um, just a really great movie. And this is uh, this largely takes the form of Hugh Grant standing around in Charlie Hunnam's kitchen, <laughs> telling him a story about a criminal. Charlie Hunt happens to work for, played by Matthew McConaughey, and the various schemes that sprout up around him, including one in which they <laughs> drug Eddie Marsan, have him, let's just gently say, make love to a farm animal, <laughs> and then show him the products of this of this love. How's your man then, coach? Ah, he'll survive. Wouldn't have been a pig I would have chosen him. <laughs> you know what bit that is? Good Lord. I mean, I was there and I'm still shocked. Is that who I think it is? Yeah, certainly is. And that's your doing. You can't unsee it once you've seen it, can you? No, you can't unsee it. It's nightmare fuel. That'll be with me forever. It really would, wouldn't it? <laughs> It still kills me now. Oh, it is when you think of when you think of the scene, you think of Eddie Marson's face yeah. during that moment. You really feel it. For it's also the fact that Eddie Marson just plays such a brilliant sort of uh, parody of every tabloid news editor you have ever <laughs> seen in an interview, and so you kind of think he's got it coming in this. But I mean, how good is is Colin Farrell in this? Like, I don't think he's getting anywhere near the props he deserves for this one. No, he doesn't. And I mean, he should do more comedy because it's absolutely brilliant. And he just delivers these lines over and over and over again. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. There's a, a, a great gag that comes up every now and again involving the name of, I think he's a Vietnamese character. Uh, oh, we yes. We can't <laughs> verbally repeat it, 
but yeah, it's just a great moment. There's so many great sequences in the film. There's a whole prolonged uh, scene with Charlie Hunnam in a smack den that for me is just one of the best moments in any film last year. Uh, going back to Farrell, though, I think it's all about Colin Farrell, and uh, I do. Feel and Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant has and, a, and Hugh Grant. Yeah, both yeah. knocked this one out of the park, actually. I was, yeah, I was going to get to you. I was just going to say that between uh, this and In Bruges, I agree with you, Farrell should do a lot more comedy and he should do this specific kind of dark comedy. Hugh Grant, though, literally just getting the chance to just go for a ride and enjoy himself. Yeah. I want to tell you a story, Mickey. Oh, come on. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. And he's so sleazy and so fun. It's just that Cockney accent. It just like, he, all he, he, he can talk gobbledygook and you'll be in, in fits of laughter. I'm, I'm sure there are points when he just does say gobbledygook. I, I think he does. Yeah, and we just laugh along with it because he's so fun. To, oh, I forgot to wash me ends. You know, he's, he's just so much fun in this. But also, you know what? It's, it's been a long time since Pacific Rim. We finally found another Charlie Hunnam film that works. Congratulations, Chuck. You finally found another one. Well, well let's just so, say, um, if, as long as Guy Ritchie is around, Charlie Hunnam has always got a career. But he has. Whether or not it's a good career, as King Arthur would attest, is another thing entirely. But, I never uh, said good. I just said a career. <laughs> did you know Warner Brothers still have that poster up that, that, that signed King Arthur one, oh, no. that's signed by Guy Ritchie, that he quite clearly signed whilst he was still under the illusion that there was a franchise in this? <laughs> I didn't know that, no. Oh, it's it's on it's on the wall at Delane Lee. If you're walking up the staircase in Warner Brothers Delane Lee, there is a framed poster of King Arthur Legend of the Sword, signed at, at length by Guy Ritchie. There's also one for Patty Jenkins for uh, Wonder Woman, but obviously we knew there was a franchise in that. But the one for King Arthur is just the Everest of optimism. <laughs> Warner Brothers ever optimistic. Ever optimistic. But, you know, we say that. They're probably still planning it, Chapter 3, as we speak. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> The Gentleman, though, we can say, is a resoundingly great movie, and you should absolutely see it. I think I'm on one of the poster campaigns for this for Talk Radio somewhere. Oh, okay. I've never, I've, I've never seen it. It's one of those that I've never seen. <laughs> have you? How many of these have you got? Are these ones where you're on, you're on a quote somewhere, but you've never seen it. Oh, I've had a few of those. I mean, I've had, had, people, I've had people send them to me. But I've never spotted them myself. No one ever see. No one ever sends me Jack. Start sending me my quotes, people. But uh, it's not my job to have to look these up. I come up with the quotes. But uh, yeah, so that's that's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? But alas, the gentleman I think is a fine way to round off the week, and I think that's that's a good seven day helping of cinema there. I think. Yeah, there's a couple in there you should definitely see. A couple in there. I think you, Miss Phelan, definitely see Galaxy Quest. I'm going to I'm gonna do that Saturday night. That's it. I'll get me popcorn and I'm doing Galaxy Quest. You should. I look, for, I look forward to the WhatsApp message I inevitably leave afterwards, <laughs> which just contains the word thank you over and over again. <laughs> or what the beep! <laughs> or, or more appropriately, never give up, never surrender, because that is something you'll be quoting once you've seen the delight that is Galaxy Quest. And in the meanwhile, that's uh, that's seven days of cinema from us then. I guess uh, all we get to do is uh, go away, recharge, see more movies, come back in a week's time and talk some more about them. So, that sounds like a fun routine to me. In the meanwhile, I've been Van Conn. And I've been Zeran, and we'll be back. Well, he will, I won't. Bye! <laughs>